Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, Stepping Up. My name is Sue Reed, and every week I provide a platform for people to tell their story of how they have faced and overcome a challenge in their life. Here is today's story. My guest today is Ivan Nikolov. Ivan was born in Bulgaria, which for the first 16 years of his life was a communist country. In 2002, Ivan moved to the USA, age 28, and became a US citizen in 2015. Now, over the years, Ivan has trained in natural bodybuilding and was third in the world for his weight. He's owned and operated a small alternative food bakery. He's been an instructor for the use of handguns and also trained in ethical communication and influence, human psychology and behavior, and community building and experience design. Ivan also has an awful lot of qualifications to go along with all that, so I'm not going to list them all. We are here today to talk about his early life, his move to the USA, and also his current mission, which is really exciting, to offer 1,000 free coaching sessions before his birthday next year in July 2022. So welcome to the show, Ivan. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you, Sue. Lovely to be here. And so I think the majority of my listeners, many of them anyway, will not have lived in a communist, communist, I can't even say it, communist country. So uh, perhaps we can start by just talking about what Bulgaria was like for you growing up. Yes, mm, very interesting question. You know, when I suspect when most people hear about communism and socialism, they have these images that are a reflection of the movies that we've watched. And in fact, even today, when I hear about um, North Korea, I kind of have these images, but it's very strange. So let me give fuller color picture if I could. So imagine in communism, the way we were conditioned by the rulers was not to be free thinkers, to be followers, to be puppets, to be individuals who follow the ideology of the rulers of the party. So we weren't encouraged to think for ourselves. We were encouraged to follow. In mm -hmm. fact, very interestingly, I knew exactly where I was going to work for the next years of my life after high school. I'd already been assigned to a factory for telephone sets, the old-fashioned telephone sets. Right. And, and I knew where I was going to work for the next, I don't remember, I think it was five years after I graduated high school. And they were paying me a little bit of a stipend because I had a contract with them, so I was locked in. So everything was charted for me up until the age of maybe 23 or 25, and that's how we lived back then. And mm -hmm. life was much, much simpler. Of course, we didn't have the distractions we have today, but there wasn't a, a free and normal way to, to go abroad. In fact, I was also a Bulgarian folk dances, um, dancer, and we right. would travel to other communist bloc countries mm -hmm. to exchange culture. And so we would go to their festivals and they would come to our festivals. We would travel by bus. And just to cross the borders, we had these passports that were given to the person who was with us 
on the journey and mm. then taken away and locked back in as soon as we came back in. So the passports never stayed with us. So basically we're locked in. And I remember when I was eight or nine years old, I was watching on my mom, the on grandma's black and white television. I was watching a documentary about New York. So they still showed documentary. It wasn't the crazy, crazy communism that some other countries had. Mm. So I still could see Star Wars. I still could see some movies about or documentaries about the Western world. And I remember I was watching about New York and I was alone in the room, but my uncle entered the room and he looked at the television and he looked at me and said, son, watch it, watch New York on television because you're probably never going to see it for real. Mm. Yeah. Now I saw New York, it was 2007 when I saw it for the first time and I experienced it personally. But I remember back then I said to myself, I will see New York. I will see New York. Good. And exactly 20 years later, I went to the United States and a few more years later, I saw New York. So it took a while. So there is already a message in this. But here is what where it gets interesting. When when I tell about these stories, and I could only imagine that somebody listening to these stories who grew up in a more free society, Western society, they, were, they would think, well, he, he, they were very limited back then. They were brainwashed early on. They didn't have much options, which is true. Mm. But in my childhood and my early years, this was my normal. Because I didn't know didn't anything know any different. No. I couldn't compare with anything. Yeah. I mean, I kind of cognitively knew that other life exists from Star Wars, from other mm. movies that they would show. Uh, by the way, mostly we watched Bulgarian and Russian TV because we're kind of a satellite country to, to the yeah. Russians, to the yeah. USSR. But once in a while, we would get exposed to Western movies and culture and I knew what's out there, but I didn't miss it because it wasn't it wasn't that visceral for me. No. It's almost like another world. It's less, like watching things yes, that science yes. fiction, it's not real. Mm. Yes, you're in a bubble, you're protected in that bubble. Uh, you're told that this is the best in the world and you yeah. kind of live in that. And that's yeah. the only way you can survive it, by the way. Yeah. And so back then I didn't feel, I didn't suffer immensely. In fact, I was getting groomed to become, a, to become a communist leader. I was on right. that path. Okay. That's how brainwashed I was. Yeah. And yeah. now one of the main things that I'm advocating is being an independent, independent critical thinker, thinking for yourself instead of yeah. working with other people's thought results. Yeah. So it's, it's a very interesting experience. And I'll stop right here because you may already have <laughs> Gone forever. But what what I what I find interesting is although I was born in the UK and obviously, you know, a, a free world, no limits to, you know, really what I could do. But my father told me what I was going to do for a living, and that's what I did. And when I, I worked in, in finance, I worked and started in a bank and when I, I went there and I started 1976 and I said, well, I'd like to take my exams. And they said, well, what's the point? You're a woman. You're not going to get anywhere. So <laughs> it wasn't exactly free over here anyway, is my point. But, you know, nothing like communist um, Bulgaria. So mm. when you reached 28 and you emigrated, was that something, you know, as, as soon as I could emigrate, I, I'm going to emigrate or 
was there a what happened what changed your mind oh no it wasn't so that had been on my mind for unconsciously since i was eight nine since i watched this documentary yeah. but consciously for several years before that i just um couldn't see a way and this was remember seven eight years after communism so Bulgaria was still one of the critical countries to be allowed in the United States as far as residents. And we, especially young Bulgarians, they were seen immediately as potential immigrants and they weren't allowed, um, they weren't given visas at all. I mean, it was very, very, very extremely rare. Even older individuals in their 50s, 60s and 70s that, you know, why would they want to immigrate? Maybe they do, maybe they don't at this point. But young people, for sure, they want to immigrate. So they would almost immediately, they would ask you a few courtesy questions, but they would almost immediately say, you know what, you don't need to go there now, which is exactly what happened with me. So I had to first find a way to have a story behind going there. Right. And the way, the only way that I've found in, in these several years of searching and trying was as a student to go there and study English in an American university in their English program. So enroll there as a student. But this was happening exactly one year after September 11th. So it was, mm -hmm. it was a few months before September. Actually, I left for the United States September 20, 2002. So exactly one year. So even, even more so because September 11th, happened because of all these people the hijackers that were actually on student visas so right that was, yes in and of itself was a difficult visa to get and yeah. my only way is a bulgarian who's 28 years old potential immigrant by all measures yeah. and he wants to go there on a student visa maybe <laughs> even dangerous maybe he's dangerous <laughs> and when i went to the to the interviewing person the american lady I will never forget this because it's etched into my mind, but basically went through the interview and she said, you know what, you want to go to the United States to study English, but I think that your English is quite good already because I'd studied in Bulgaria right. privately. And I think that you can make it even better here in Bulgaria. So you don't need to go to the United States. And she literally put the path passport in the drawer and pushed the drawer towards me uh -huh. and the rest was this thick uh, armored uh, window so so it was just that drawer and i i saw the passport and i was looking at it i didn't want to touch it because for me it was a uh, life and death situation yeah. at this point i i thought if i touch it i'll have to accept that i'm stuck in bulgaria and that will destroy my health it'll destroy my mindset it'll destroy me and so mm -hmm. That was probably one of the most determined moments in my entire life where I, I was standing over my passport, looking at it and refusing to take it. And then I just started talking to her, basically what came to my mind to reassure her that I'm not a potential immigrant, that I have a sister in England, that I've been there and I had the opportunity to immigrate, but I didn't immigrate and all of this. And I remember she was looking through one of these <laughs> uh, not true but above these glasses that you use yeah. for reading only the half glasses and she was looking at me uh, all the time and then I stopped talking and she kept looking at me through the window and then finally she said you know what all right I'll give you a two-month visa 
and you go there and take the two-month program and you come back immediately here in 60 days. All right? I said, yes, ma'am. All right. Of course, I didn't come back. No. Of no. course. But that was, that was my life sentence, basically. Yeah. Well, that was, that was such a brave moment. Yeah. So it would... I mean, potentially, could you have been like arrested for arguing and, you know, saying, well, you didn't argue, but for, you know, refusing to pick your passport up? Was there any danger in that? You know, back at the time, being arrested was much better than slowly dying. Right. Yeah. Or dying you. one day at a time. So that wasn't even a thought because the alternative was to continue dying one day at a time. And mm. so... I wasn't violent or anything. I just stayed there and kept yeah. talking. So yeah. she she saw this as a new choice for her, and she her different choice than the previous choice, and that's that. So I don't know. I wouldn't say I would have gotten arrested unless she said, you know, you need to leave, and then I yeah. But then I guess by giving you the visa, she's done her bit. She's told you to come back in sixty days, and after that you know, her, her responsibility ends there, really, doesn't it? It's for you then either to obey or not to obey. That's right. Okay. I think so. So then you arrive in um, America, and what did you think? Was it everything you expected, or was there any surprises? I mean, come on, in the beginning, <laughs> I went to a place where I didn't know anybody. Yeah. I had a cousin in Chicago, but I decided to go to, because I had three options, as far as I remember, of this university. They had satellite English classes at three different uh, locations, three different states. And I went to Tampa, Florida, and right. I didn't know anybody. So I had to stay with a host family, with an elderly lady and her son. They had a spare bedroom, and the, the program that was facilitating everything they were facilitating also the first month of stay. And so I uh, got money from friends. I borrowed money from friends and from my father, my family, and went there. And I only had money for one month of study. It was, I think it was $2,000 per month, something like that. That's right. almost 20 years ago. Yeah. So even so back then, yeah, it's quite a lot. Yeah, a student visa, you cannot work legally. It's not a work visa. It's a student no. visa. So there is no way for me to make more. I'm not allowed to legally work. I only have a bed for 30 days and I don't have money to, to buy more bed with this lady. <laughs> I had to figure it out really fast. I don't have anybody to save me. And so long story short, I, I met people who invited me to take their couch in their house, literally in the living room with somebody, I guess they had a soft heart for young foreigners who mm -hmm. were trying to make it. And yeah, yeah especially at that time, yeah. And they said, you know what? The only place we have that's unoccupied is it's a sofa. It's not a stretch sofa that becomes a bed. It's just a sofa for three people. That's what we've got. If you want, take this. And it's in the living room. So, you know, people watch TV. The other people, they sit on your sofa. <laughs> that's what, so I lived on this. I slept on this sofa and I lived in this place for a year and a half. And that's how I started stepping on my feet. And of course, I worked illegally. I had to work illegally to, to make money and survive. But that's, that's how it goes for foreigners. So when did, you, when did you 
find your feet so you know when did you could you manage on your own get your own place have a job how long did that take did you have to wait to be a, a citizen before you could work oh, or no. oh no 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 i was working illegally from the, <laughs> almost the very beginning and it's an interesting story i was 20 days into the english classes mm-hmm. my english is still pretty bad as far as being able to freely talk without trying to translate in my head all yeah. the time from my native bulgarian language and I was knocking on doors everywhere, restaurants, KFCs, hot fast food, other fast food places. And they cordially will give me an application to fill out. But of course, they, they'll trash it because one of the questions is, are you authorized to work in the United States? Mm. And I wasn't. Mm. So they immediately would trash that. But I went to a car wash place that was also a barbecue place and a haircut, you know, barber salon. Yeah. And... Two Afro-American gentlemen were running that place. They were partners. And I went in and one of them was handling and, and administering the, the barber business. The other yeah. one was with the barbecue and the car wash place. And so I went in and I said, I want to wash cars. And the gentleman that was cutting hair said, do you know how to wash cars? cars? Do, you, do you have the skills? No. He said, have you washed cars before? I said, No. <laughs> and then he said, so you don't know how to wash cars then? I said, well, what's so difficult about washing cars? <laughs> I can wash a car. Well, he said, well, can you cut hair? I said, no. Well, he said, that's the same thing. Why do you think that you can wash cars? And that was a big lesson for me at the time, assuming that I can do something without yeah. properly being trained in it. And he said, come back on Monday and I'll have my partner here with me and talk to him and see what happens, not promising anything. But basically, that's how I started for $50 a day, working six days a week, car wash. That's how I bought my first bicycle and so on from there. But basically, then I continued in massage therapy. No, after that, I was in pizza making and pizza (laughs) delivery for quite a while, then massage therapy privately and illegally, Mm -hmm. of course, Mm -hmm. and then personal training when I was already competing there. Long story short, I got my citizenship in 2015. I got my green card in 2009. That's when I opened my bakery and the citizenship came almost six years after that. So I was working all the time. Yeah, I had my, my lady joined me and she became my wife and both of us had to work illegally. <laughs> and she was years. from Bulgaria as well. She was from Bulgaria, but we never met in Bulgaria. We met okay. online. And okay. uh, she literally physically met me at the Tampa airport oh. a year and a half after we met online. Oh, lovely. So that was our story. And both of us had to survive, basically, mm. for many, you many just years. just work, work, work. Yeah, work and save, work and save. Because that yeah. was keeping her in status. And I moved to another visa, which was the athletic visa. So I had to keep competing yeah to stay in status yeah and your family was still in bulgaria i guess yes and uh, they're still family, there now my father and mother yes yeah. my father and mother. but my sister she immigrated even before me so yeah. she lives in the uk now she has been there for 21 years mm-hmm. and or 20 years i want to say yes mm-hmm. and before that she was in italy for nine years so she immigrated right after high school I have a young brother in Bulgaria and my father and mother. My brother is on my father's side, different mothers. Okay. You became third in the world for your weight in natural 
bodybuilding and opened up your bakery, which was an alternative food bakery. So you're obviously very much into health and fitness. And I, I watched one of your YouTube videos this morning where you're, you're on the bars. I recommend the listeners have a look at that because <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing what you can do. Yeah. So you took all these different qualifications and settled in America. And then you you decided to go off wandering. So where, where did you go? You went to Europe after America. What made you think I need to, to see more of the world then? Well, the story is not as easy as just a decision to go off wandering. Okay. <laughs> but, but it came with the lessons and I'm so glad that it turned out that way. So as I already mentioned, my girlfriend came from Bulgaria and she, we got married in 2004 and we lived together for 13 years. We eventually got up to a level of middle class. We had a little house in the neighborhood, okay. actually at that point in Austin, Texas. We had the two cars and life was looking okay on the outside, but it wasn't like that on the, you know, in the inner world didn't look mm. like that at all. So I had my bakery for three and a half years in Tampa, Florida. And for many reasons, it didn't succeed. I made a lot of mistakes, but in retrospect, I was self-sabotaging. And it's all because of earlier conditioning and undeservance. Yeah. And so this is this is one of the big lessons. I didn't know that I was self-sabotaging, but eventually this business ended. And on top of that, I took this as a failure, not only failure in business, but failure as a as a man and as a provider to, to my family, to my lady. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I long story short, I couldn't recover for five years. Basically, I was sabotaging everything that I started after that. And literally, we were working on her business that she had started around the time that we had the bakery. And yeah. she grew it into a business. It was a little hobby. She grew it into a business. And then we grew it together. But I never felt like it's our business. I always felt like I'm working for my wife. Because yes. I've, I've, for some reason, I always had this belief of, while a man should be a provider, a man shouldn't be working for his wife. He should be the breadwinner, the main which breadwinner. Which is quite, so, yeah, which is very common, isn't it? And yeah. I suffered because of that. And I suffered and struggled for five years. And I couldn't find my footing. And eventually, she went through some programs and experiences I actually sent her to. And she came back with some realizations that we have started holding each other from our best futures. And she decided, I think that I've, you've uh, let your, you've surrendered a, a big part of your power because you have me in your life and I've surrendered a big part of my power because I know that I have you in my life. And I don't think both of us are living to our full potential. And I think that we should create space, mm -hmm. which meant that we should, physically create space and because I was the man I chose to walk out and find my own place to live yeah. and the conditions were if we may get back together we may not let's see how it goes yeah but the main point is to be independent of each other so that we can fully step back into our power long story short we didn't end up getting to back together again we divorced after that very you know these from mind valley but conscious uncoupling yes it was uh, very 
very peaceful and beautiful yeah. decision. We never, there was never argument about this. Everything was perfect agreement. Yeah. And mm, we uncoupled. And she's still one of the best uh, friends I have on the planet. We still talk to this day and support each other tremendously. But I was on my own for a while there in the United States, and I wasn't faring well at all. I wasn't stepping back into my power the way I thought. But the reason is because I had this early conditioning again. So yeah. I kept self-sabotaging. Yeah. So and everything that you, yeah, everything that had gone into your, your mind your conditioning from the communist years you were carrying forward with you with probably without even realizing it it was still holding yes, you back some of it from my father because right, his way yeah. of motivating me was through the negative he yeah. would tell me all the ways that i'll fail in life and all the ways that i couldn't be couldn't amount to anything more than a trolley driver that was his saying yeah and uh, that was his way of motivating me, but he was planting the seeds of me to to have glass ceilings yeah. that are pretty low. Yeah. And so free thought being taken away from me, outsourcing the thinking to somebody else, plus being conditioned that I have money glass ceiling, I have achievement glass ceiling, I have a potential glass ceiling. Mm while feeling at the same time, time that my potential is huge and I have a big message in me and I'm here to speak my message and to live my mission, that felt so, so heavy, so yeah. high pressure. It felt like I'm a, a pressure cooker. Like a pressure cooker, yeah. Yeah, like waiting to, so, to blow, yeah, but not being but able to let it out. This very evident to me. I, yeah. I, I understood these things to... Uh, a good degree to okay. know that there is that that's where I should be looking for, but I didn't understand them to the degree that I understand mm. them today. Yeah. And so long story short, my uh, contract for the little apartment I had in the United States after I moved out and we got divorced, it expired. And I decided to, instead of releasing another apartment or resigning to go off to Europe for a couple of months maybe, and then come back to the United States. So that was 2018. I still haven't been back at the time of this recording. It's 2021 uh, <laughs> mid-year. And my journey took me to Europe. I continued to struggle quite a bit. And then my journey took me all the way to Southeast Asia, where I worked for Valley for just over two years as a community manager and track yeah. facilitator. And then my journey took me back to Europe where I joined my, my current soulmate and we eventually became a family earlier this year. And now we're in Spain. Congratulations. So Brilliant. A long story, short story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what made the difference then? How did you get out of that mindset? Hmm. So... In all transparency, I wouldn't say that I've completely gotten out of that mindset because okay. being that way for 40 plus years, that yeah. develops momentum. And yeah. I see this in a lot of the individuals that I get to talk Definitely. to yeah. uh, right now with this mission of 1000 gifted coaching sessions. At the time of this recording, it's been less than three months, but I've gifted 160 now. And so I've had quite a few conversations and I can see how people struggle with things repeating in a certain pattern mm -hmm. in their lives. Yeah. 
but not having an explanation why. Yeah. And pretty much everything traces back to these first seven, eight years of our yeah. childhood and the blueprints of success or failure that we inherited back then. The blueprints that basically dictate 90% plus of your of our actions today. And so going back to your question, it's I wouldn't say that I've rewritten my my blueprints entirely and my scripts. I still find things that I need to work on yeah and i'm working on them and i'm, I'm working on them with with coaches and coaches yeah. therapists and yeah. so I, yeah i, I like mean even coaches time. need coaches don't they <laughs> absolutely absolutely coaches need coaches need coaches absolutely um, yeah. all of us have yeah. Coach, coaches yeah none of us have ever, are ever finished it. yes yes so i guess right. the difference yeah. is now you recognize it you can see things as they come up and think right I need to sort that code out I need to sort that code out that's right. So I've sorted out some, quite a few actually. Yeah. yeah. And I've been formally trained in NLP as a master practitioner. So I was trained on these tools. I was a patient in NLP. I was a therapist in NLP, yeah. also hypnotherapy and timeline therapy. These are uh, great tools. Absolutely. So I've, yeah. I've had quite a few things done. I've had things done before that, after that. I've had psychedelic experiences that helped a lot. I had an ayahuasca journey that was right, very important yeah. in my life as well. So it's not just the coaches and therapists. It's it's a collection of everything. But now that we took a lot of basic layers, now we're discovering some deeper things. Mm. And so I'm doing my best not to get into a rabbit hole where all I'm doing is trying to <laughs> yeah. find my darknesses. Because as as somebody that I just interviewed last week said your your enoughness is in it lies in you accepting your not non-enoughness and not that's it yeah yeah your, it's the vulnerability yeah part of you your missing parts are a part of who you are yeah. so that's your enoughness yeah loving that and so i i'm doing my best not to get sucked into this self-repair that constant yeah. self-repair because it never ends but when i see that i'm slipping into a pattern, then I'm not going, well, I'll try it again. I'll try it again. I go, wow, this is a pattern. We need to look into something. Yeah. And then I go and I buy time because, you know, working with a therapist, with a coach, it's not paying for something. It's buying time, literally. Yes. Something that may take me five, 10 years to figure out. I go and figure it out for, for days. Yes. Brilliant. So tell us about your mission then. So it's 1,000 coaching sessions. Yes. So upon exiting at Mind Valley, I felt how I can be sucked into a hole of mm -hmm. not having a strong personal mission. Mm -hmm. And I needed something like a North Star. And through, through some process that was a couple of weeks long, I eventually arrived at this mission. I tested it for being true for being true for me, that yeah. this is really what I want to commit to for the next year and a half, because it's a huge commitment. It's literally two conversations every single day for 500 days. Yeah. And if I don't do that on Saturdays and Sundays, you can imagine that that adds more calls during the week. So it's literally three calls a day, every day for 500 yeah. days. And there is no, it's not about the calls. It's not about 
speaking with these people. It's having these people on your calendar to speak with and yeah. making a difference. Yeah. And so this is a huge mission for me. And it teaches me so much about how I put myself out there, how I do my branding, my marketing. It teaches me a lot about myself because people share problems that I discover I had this before and I can help. Or there is something that I know somebody else struggled. So, and, and I learn massively. I learned massively how, what, what the main problems are that people are facing and what is the fastest way for me to help them see their challenge so they can overcome their challenge. So it's tremendous. It helps people, but it helps me as well. The reason why I'm saying it because it helps both sides. Yeah. So I yeah. have a vested interest yeah. in it as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I started this almost three months ago. It's going to go until July, the end of July next year. Hopefully I'm finished before that. I'm pretty much still on track, but if, if it goes that way, I'll go all the way to till July next year. So the information is it's on my website website it's ivannikov.com forward slash 1000 or it's even on the home page at the time of this recording but ivannikov.com forward slash 1000 and that's where those who want to find out more can learn more and they can also apply if they mm -hmm. think that this is something they want to pursue but i don't take everybody so the reason why i said it's also it takes work to put people on my calendar because i reject a lot of applications so people who are not serious and yeah. I just can't help them mm. because they're not serious about helping themselves. I cannot help them. No, exactly. And some not people a have worker. problems, challenges that I'm, I don't feel qualified to help. Yeah. So yeah. I have to be in integrity and, and, and address that as well. Yeah. So that's the webpage. That's, that's how far it'll go until July next year. And people are invited. The requirements that I have are I worked I work only with people who have always felt that they, they were born for something more. They're not satisfied with their current results. They had dreams in the past, but eventually they forgot how to dream today, or they find it very hard to dream. And they're very enrolled in their current reality. They're also coachable and they're not enrolled in their current opinion. They don't need to be right. And they're committed to, to a change and rapid change. So these are the people that I work with. Excellent. Okay. So I'll put your details uh, for your website in the show notes and, and how to access the form that they need to fill in. So it's really people that are looking to make big changes in their life, fulfill their dreams, but maybe don't know what their dreams are in the first place, but they just feel that that's something inside them that says there's there's more to my life than just sitting at this desk in front of this computer all day long. I need to really do something, but I don't know. Either I don't know where to start or I, I know what I want to do, but I don't know how to put it in place. I don't know how to action my goals. So that's the sort of thing you're looking for. And how do you assess them? Is it like a, a quick conversation or can you tell from the application? From the application, yeah, I have a few very specific questions, and based on based on uh, what people say, but also on how much time they they take to think about it, I pretty much automatically reject applications that are just three sentences. Uh, I mean, three three words saying, three words, oh, "I don't yeah. know my vision." Yeah. Well, if you don't know your vision and you didn't feel like taking two minutes to think about your vision, 
why should I give you 30 minutes of my time yeah. if, if you didn't want to bother for three minutes to think about your vision? Obviously, I cannot help you. And yeah. so that's where we leave it. But it happens less and less lately because maybe my frequency communicates now differently into the world and I attract more of the people who really want to create something meaningful in the that's world. That's it. Okay, that's absolutely wonderful. So that's how people can contact you. And is there a message that you want to leave listeners with? Yes, absolutely. And before I go to the message, mm -hmm. uh, there is only also one way to get in touch with me. And this is my tribe on Telegram. Telegram is a messaging app like WhatsApp, yep. but it's more special in a lot of ways. We can do uh, live talks there just like Clubhouse. So yes. I do these live talks and I post uh, regular, very valuable information that's actionable, that's deeply transformational. And I'm the only one that posts in this tribe. So yes. there are no people talking. There is no spamming there. I'm the only one that posts usually once a day or once every two days, something like that. So if you could include the link I to will my do, yeah. tribe, yeah. that would be fantastic as well and people can always decide that this is not for them if they don't like it but this is the tribe where the people that inspire me and that we inspire each other and we feel that we are born for more in fact that's the name born for more that's uh, mm -hmm. that's the name of the tribe that's where we congregate that said on to the message the message is this you are infinitely more than you think you are infinitely more and the only reason why you may not believe that is your early conditioning and the momentum that you've developed from childhood all the way till now because your story looking back in the rearview mirror is different and it tells a different story but that doesn't have to be the story from now on just know that you're infinitely more than you think you are. And as soon as you have clarity about what you want to create, everything will conspire to help you create what you want to create. Brilliant. That's really, really good. Wonderful. Well, best of luck with your mission. It sounds amazing. And I think anybody that's interested that applies, you know, apply, just see, see where that goes. Cause you never know, this might just be the opportunity you're, you're, you've been waiting for. So I definitely give it a go, but thank you for coming on today. It's been wonderful to hear your story and how you've gone from communist Bulgaria to now being a US citizen living in Spain. So absolutely wonderful. And thank you so much for coming on and I wish you well. Thank you, Sue, and thank you for uh, inviting me here. And I think the main message of this is we never, ever, ever give up. No. Never. Because no. the universe will give you plenty of opportunities to stay down on your knees. Yes. But we don't. We keep no. getting up and we keep going, and that's the exercise that we're playing. So keep getting up and keep going. Absolutely. Right. Brilliant message. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Sue. And I'll say goodbye. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to today's story. And as always, if you want to ensure you don't miss any future episodes, then please subscribe. And if you yourself have a story to tell, then please do get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. And until next week, take care of yourself, stay safe, and I will see you soon. Goodbye.